This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from allcomic.com episode 52. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I am Sid, and today we have a hopefully shorter episode for you guys, because I'm going to be at Anime Expo next week! Woo! Yay! And we wanted to get an episode out before then, but we didn't have time to reach through a full series for the next episode and do a full discussion thing. So it's going to be just a shorter news-focused episode, but we do have something special to talk about, something we've been waiting a very long time for, the return of Hiro Mashima. His new series after the end of Fairy Tale has come out, Eden Zero, and we are going to talk about it today later on in the show. Yeah, so I think that'll be fun, but... Yeah, uh, I guess we could just get started with the news here. Um, so the first thing we're going to be talking about is, uh, first off, we have a we have another list to talk about, but uh, it's not the usual. Uh, it's it's not the usual lists we talk about. So uh, Oricon came out with a list of top selling media franchises in Japan for the first half of 2018. Now, uh, this list surveys uh, sales from December 11th, 2017 to June 10th, 2018, and includes basically uh, raw yen amounts of Blu-rays, DVDs, CDs, novels, manga um, for different franchises, uh, but doesn't include uh, items such as games, uh, movie tickets, digital downloads, other stuff. Um so yeah, um, not not entirely manga focused, but I thought this was kind of interesting. So I guess we can just kind of go over some of the top ten here as far as just uh, manga franchises go. Because uh, at number ten we have uh, Takahisan, totaling with an amount of one billion four hundred and sixty-six million five hundred and twenty thousand nine hundred and forty-eight yen. That's a hmm. mouthful. Um, which includes, uh, obviously, manga, music, and home video, because uh, Takagi-san did get an anime, uh, I think, a season or two ago? I forget already. Um, so, yeah, I, I didn't realize um, I didn't realize that series was so popular, honestly. That's really surprising to yeah, me. Yeah, it seemed like it came and went here in Western fandom, but I guess the anime was quite successful back in Japan. Has that been licensed over here at all? I forget. I believe it has. I think it might be a Seven Seas license. That yeah, that sounds like something Seven Seas would pick up. Actually, okay, no, yeah, I think it has been picked up. Um, but yeah, that's that's really interesting to me. No, it's a Yen Press license. My bad. Okay, there we go. Um, and so at number nine we have Seven Deadly Sins, totaling at uh, one billion four hundred and ninety-two million yen. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's no surprise to me. Uh, obviously that includes, uh, manga music and home video releases. Um, so Seven Deadly Sins is uh, still going strong, which is good. Um, and then at number eight, we have, uh, let's see, the Mobile, Mobile Suit Gundam franchise as well as the Star Wars franchise at number seven. Um, but at number six, um, so it, it's interesting to see, I, I guess some of these franchises, I at least as far as Japan goes, I'm not too super surprised surpassed Star Wars in particular. But at number six, I was kind of surprised to see Detective Conan at number six uh, beating out Star Wars, which is not something I thought I could ever say. Um, 
uh, totaling at 1,798,000,000 plus yen, which I think that makes sense to me because j- just from what I've seen, it seems like Detective Conan has kind of like, I mean, it's always been popular and it's always been a huge franchise in Japan, but it, but it to me, it just looks like it's just kind of having a renaissance almost. Yeah, I mean, the recent movie was incredibly successful. Like, it beat out Avengers Infinity War, like, every week, so... That's that's really amazing to me. Yeah, I mean, Conan is just much more beloved, it seems. I mean, I, that, make, that makes sense to me. Um, at number five, we have uh, Token Ranbu, uh, totaling at uh, 2,500 million yen. And, uh, you know, again, that's uh, apparently includes manga novels, music and home video releases, because I know that has an anime. I've, I don't know anything about Token Ranbu at it's all. It's a free to play collectible card browser video game where you f- play the role of a sage who travels to the past to defeat evil forces. And you have the ability to animate legendary swords as attractive young men. Mm, OK, that makes sense to me. <laughs> Yeah. None of that. None of that surprises me at all. Um, is um, I think yeah, I think I mean obviously there's an anime for it. I mean, have, have you seen any of it, Sid? There's been three different anime adaptations. I watched one that came out, I believe, last summer. That the first episode was pretty okay, but I never watched any more of it. But I've heard varying opinions on each of the anime adaptations and like how good they are. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the kind of thing that would sell, honestly. But yeah, I'm not really, sh- I'm not really sure if that would be for me personally. But uh, I mean, obvi- obviously, a lot of people really enjoy it because it makes a shit ton of money. Um, and uh, the only thing that makes uh, more money than that is One Piece. Uh, surprise, surprise. Well, it's not the only thing. Well, true. But uh, yeah, One, One Piece coming in uh, the big multimedia franchise that it is, uh, totaling over uh, two billion five hundred and eighty-two million yen. And uh, let's see, uh, the top three, um, I think, are um, I guess, I mean, I, I mean, you know, we're, we're we're so used to like, you know, the One Piece manga selling pretty much more than any other like manga series usually. But like, I guess as far as like multimedia franchises go. You know, I guess it's not a surprise to see that there are certain franchises that, like, make more money than it. But, um, you know, as far as the top three goes, we have the Fate series, uh, totaling over 2,583,000,000 yen. Um, I know Fate is a huge popular thing that I kind of just experienced through osmosis. Um, I don't don't know, and, well, I know some stuff about Fate, but, like... I usually see a lot of, like, out-of-context, like, screencasts from, like, the anime and the visual novels, and, like, I don't know anything about the story at all, though. <laughs> Do you know that people die when they are killed? I I did know that. I did know that. <laughs> Thankfully, I knew I know at least that much. Um, so, I guess that's not a huge surprise to me. I know Fate is a very popular thing, even, even here in the West. But uh, let's see, at number two, we have the Idolmaster series, uh, totaling with uh, 3,631,000,000 yen. Um, Now, I I know certain people that are into this franchise, but, like, I didn't realize it was this popular. Yeah, I mean, the Idolmaster and 
the number one Love Live are extremely popular franchises. You know, idol games and anime and stuff are a big business in Japan. And like, these are the top two franchises. Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Yeah, uh, kind of gave it away. But yeah, Love Live's number one, which I'm... I'm not that surprised about because Love Live is just such a huge thing over there um, that unfortunately I'm I'm just not into. But I know a lot of people who vehemently swear by it, and you know I, I appreciate that passion. But man, I mean Love like I've seen at least like the first season of the anime, and that's it. But like it, I thought it was kind of cute. But I mean, like you know, it's I I, I know it's more than just the anime, like it's i mean you know like like i mean sid said it best like idol culture is such a huge thing over there i'm not really that surprised it rakes in that much money but yeah um i think as far as uh franchises go i think that's a pretty it's a pretty solid like top 10 franchises um with one or two surprises in there that i personally didn't expect yeah that's pretty much what I would expect for the most part, except for Takagi-san. I'm surprised that is as successful as it is. Because it's a cute series, but I didn't think it would be like, it'd be such a big hit. Yeah, I didn't realize like people loved it that much. Um, but um, we don't have to go over, obviously, the entire list, but I thought there were some entries on here out of the 30 that were interesting. Um, like The Greatest Showman coming in at number 23. That movie apparently was incredibly big in Japan. I hear it's an interesting movie. Um, I, I have friends who have seen it, and it's apparently fun, I guess. <laughs> mm. Yeah, it's it's amazing what's popular over in Japan sometimes. Uh, so I, I guess like the, the, the thing that really like kind of stands out to me is um, The Promised Neverland at number 22, making over 907 million yen on printed medium alone on just its manga before an anime has even aired at all like that's kind of amazing to me yeah it's very impressive promise everland is just gonna blow up when it gets an anime if it's already getting this much attention Mm-hmm. and you know even stuff like uh the previously thought unpopular Black Clover, um, ma- making a just under that much, um, which you know we we kind of we kind of talked about on the last episode. You know when we had Maxi on, you know when we talked about the popularity poll, how like oh well, you know people think Black Clover is a popular, but I mean it's I think it's really only gained popularity really thanks to the anime. But I mean like you know the, the, I mean you know I mean if you ask me like. A year or two ago, I would have, I, I probably would have had the same opinion. Like, oh, nobody likes Black Clover. It's just, it's just another Naruto. Um, but I mean, like, you know, it has its audience and people really like it. Yeah, I mean, MHA is green Naruto and Black Clover is black Naruto. <laughs> and Haikyuu is orange Naruto. Oh, wait what? a minute. Naruto is already <laughs> orange. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's Naruto. Um, but. <laughs> Yeah, no, just um, so so I guess uh, you know Black Clover. I'm I'm you know as, as somebody who's kind of like come around on it, I'm glad to see it doing well. Let's see here. Um, was, is there anything else you want to kind of point out at all, or everything else is what I would expect to be on this list? I would say 
that time I got reincarnated as a slime being here is very interesting. I know that was extremely popular, but it hasn't even got an anime yet. So that's definitely like a franchise to watch out for once it gets an anime. Because it'll probably be even higher the next time we check in on this list. And then uh, Boys Over Flowers as a franchise is still going strong. Which I don't know if there's like a currently ongoing Japanese TV series for it. But that just was a little interesting. It's like, oh, this classic franchise is still doing pretty well in terms of like franchise uh, franchises, it seems. So, hey, yeah, that's pretty neat. Huh, it makes me sad that Gintama's not on the list. <laughs> yeah, it's actually kind of interesting that Gintama isn't here. But, hmm. but oh well, that's just my bias. Um, but no, I, I think I think that that was an interesting list. And I guess that's really all we have to say about that. Um, so I guess we, could, we should just move on to serialization news. Yes, we'll move on to serialization news. And first, we're going to have to start off with talking about things that have come to an end. Because a lot of things have come to an end. And some of these things have come to an end after an extremely long time. And this is the case of Dokuben, the classic baseball manga that has been running since 1972. It has finally ended after 46 years in Weekly Shonen Champion. It has ended... Yeah, that's basically all I have to say, but it, it was a, originally started about a high school baseball club, and it inspired a 163-episode anime and a live-action film during the course of its run. The final arc began in 2012, so six years later, we've finally come to the end of it. This is a series that I don't know if we'll ever see in an official capacity over in North America, but it's definitely one of the big classics. So it ending is definitely like a big deal that should be taken note of. And it's be, you know, interesting to see what the legacy of Dokuben will be. I'm just interested in how you could keep a story like that running for that long. It's like the first thing that comes to mind. Like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Major as a franchise is only like half that length. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting. I, I wonder if there was, I mean, especially if they were only in high school for the entire run of the series. Because like even Major showed Daigo like grow up and become an adult and stuff. That's the same thing for Captain Tsubasa too. So very curious about that. But there are other series that have also recently come to an end, and one of those series is Surrey Dure Children, a manga that has been running in Weekly Shonen Magazine, got a very charming anime last summer season. It will be ending in the 32nd issue of Weekly Shonen Magazine on July 11th, so you will have conclusions to all of the cute romances in the series. And yeah, uh, the final volume will be the 12th volume and that should come out in a few months or so and Kodansha USA releases the series digitally in English so uh, we'll definitely be getting the entire run of that at some point as well well there you go and uh, speaking of things ending um, so it looks like um, Attack on Titan before the fall uh, one of its many spin-offs or whatnot uh, looks like is reaching its final arc um, according to the August issue of Kodansha's monthly Shonen Sirius. Um, so that's interesting. I'm, I'm assuming this is like a, a prequel series or something. I, 
Oh yeah, you've never read it? No, I'm. I don't really keep up with Attack on Titan, let alone like any of its like spinoff series, honestly. So like, I'm kind of in the dark about this one. It's been a long time since I read it, but it's a very interesting series. It takes place uh, like a hundred or so years before the beginning of Attack on Titan, and it's kind of about the history of the original like survey corps guys well i guess not the original ritual but like the guys who kind of founded the survey corps as we know it in attack and titan and refined like the maneuvering gear that all the survey corps members use and stuff so and like also and uh came up with the system about like going outside for expeditions and like coming back successfully and stuff so yeah it's about this very interesting protagonist and that like he was discovered inside the body of a titan and so everyone thinks like he's a titan's child and stuff so he's like horribly abused and discriminated when he's a kid before he like kind of is able to escape and join the survey corps and yeah it's it's a very interesting series that kind of looks at kind of the darker history of the world of attack on titan a little bit also showing some like origins of things like we come to recognize in the series and i just thought the character of Kyotaro, I think, is the main protagonist's name. I thought he was very interesting. I thought the main female lead was pretty interesting. Uh, it's been quite a while since I read it, so I'm fuzzy on all the details. I just know that it's a really interesting series, and I really enjoy reading I think it actually has better art than uh, Attack on Titan, the main series. I think that <laughs> the Satoshi Shiki's art is <laughs> better than uh, Isayama's, but yeah, it's it's a good series, and uh, I sh- really should get back onto it at some point. Hmm. I mean, as, as as someone who's sort of like, kind of, mostly lukewarm on Attack on Titan, like maybe kind of indifferent. That actually, that that actually does sound really interesting. But uh, yeah, it looks like that'll be entering its final arc. Uh, when it will end, uh, only time will tell. Um, but it looks like we also have some uh, some more magazine news that we need to talk about. The ending of one thing can lead to a new beginning for other things. And that is the case with Monthly Comic Burrs, which is ending. It has ended. We reported on that a few weeks ago. But the series serialized in Comics Burrs are not ending alongside the magazine. Instead, they will be moving online to Kentosha's Denshi Burrs website on July 30th. And the such series that are moving to Denshi Burrs include... Konohana Kitan, uh, Hanabata o Kurasai, Coffee and Cat, Wakusei Closet, in between Indigo and Blue, Magic Battlefront, uh, Skill Rich World Online, Tokyo Jukai no An, Sentiment no Yuke, Ayatsuchi Yomichi Chizukobo, Kensho Baroka, Wakusei Closet, Tomodachi Goko, and uh, Otome Yokai Sakuro from Lily Hoshino will also move there uh, to Denji Burrs, but it's going to take a hiatus for a while while chapters begin serializing again from the first chapter. And meanwhile, Akihiro Yamada's Beast of East and Pakus Ayuni are on hiatus for right now, but they will be on Denji Burrs when they return. Akari Fanato's Under the Rose will be available digitally on September 10th. Kiki's Varia Garden will move to Ruta's Sweet Web Magazine on August 22nd. So, most of the titles being serialized in Comic Burrs are going to find a new home on Dinchy Burrs. 
And yeah, so you can continue to read and support them on there. And the ending of one magazine doesn't necessarily spell the end for print magazines in general because a new manga magazine is launching pretty soon from Shonen Gahosha. And that magazine is called Young King Bull. It's going to come out on August 4th. The tagline reads, The Recklessness Towards Hope, Young King Bull is Born. They've been planning since December a release of another magazine called Young King Black, which came out on March 19th. And so this new magazine seems to just be another part of the Young King magazine family which includes Young King R's and Young King R's GH. So the Young King magazines are doing well. No info on like what series will be uh, launched in this, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of it. Yeah, interesting that uh, they're starting new print magazines when it, it just kind of seems like, I mean, I, I'm sure it's safe to assume that, you know, obviously print sales are, as far as magazine goes, are declining, you know, all, all over the place and, so it's just kind of interesting to see uh, publishers take the initiative and, you know, start new magazines. That's just, it's just kind of interesting to me, personally. But there are other new things on the horizon. Last episode, we talked about how many new One Piece spinoffs are coming out this summer. Too many. And there is another one that has recently come out as well. A another One Piece gag manga spinoff that has come up on Shonen Jump Plus that is called Koi Soto One Piece, otherwise known as Loving One Piece. It is a gag manga or himself has authorized. The tagline is the spinoff gag manga that tempts God set sail. And it teases that the first chapter is a couple's first date at a zoo where they search for Chopper there. So it seems like this manga is about very eccentric One Piece fans. But yeah, this is like the fourth new One Piece spinoff manga that has come out this summer. Oh boy, yep. Uh, One Piece is a thing that'll just never stop going and never stop producing spinoffs, apparently. Yeah, I guess. Just like fairy tale, huh, Golden? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, a lot of new fairy tale stuff coming. Um, <laughs> because uh, Hiromashima revealed himself, uh, or I guess basically revealed uh, a tentative title and a new visual for uh, a previously revealed uh, fairy tale spinoff. Uh, and this new manga is tentatively titled Fairy Tale City Hero. Illustrated and written by Ushio Ando, and uh, yeah, from from the visual, it it it, lo- it looks actually kind of cute. Basically, just uh, you know, the main trio: Natsu, Happy, and uh, Lucy, all uh, probably working as cops in the big city. I guess that that could be kind of funny. I'd I'd read a little bit of that. Um, so I'm sure that'll probably get picked up by Crunchyroll or something for a simul pub somewhere. And uh, we also have another fairy tale spinoff uh, coming soon um, that is going to be illustrated by Kenshiro Sakamoto and will be titled Fairy Tale Happy's Grand Adventure and will basically just be about Happy and all of his misadventures. <laughs> As he's in some sort of animal kingdom by this teaser image. Yeah, it actually it actually looks pretty cute. Um we just can't get enough happy. <laughs> I know. We just, 
not just never enough happy 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 oh boy um so you know if, uh, if you're a fan of fairy tale you have a couple of neat little spin-offs to look forward to um apparently just a lot of new fairy tale stuff coming from um not necessarily all from mashima but um i think also he's he's working on a um, he's he's. I think he's at least working on another fairy tale spinoff that I yeah, guess is. Yeah, he's working on a sequel spinoff manga. Yeah, so that that'll be interesting. Um, like I've said on the show before, like I don't know how the dude does it because he again he already has he's already working on Eden Zeros. So man, I we'll 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 talk more about Eden Zero at the end of the show. But uh, you know you know speaking of creators, you know getting more work. Um, so, is it Tite or Tite, Kubo? I always get those confused. I think it's Tite. Hmm, okay. Um, because I've heard people pronounce it as Tite before, and, or Taito, I don't know. Um, I'm gonna go with Tite, Kubo. Uh, Tite, Kubo, uh, apparently will be coming out with a new one-shot in Weekly Shodan Jump, and, uh, the one-shot is titled Burn the Witch, uh, which will be a 62-page one-shot that will debut in the 33rd issue of Weekly Shonen Jump on July 14th, which, uh, from just the teaser art alone, actually looks pretty cute. Um, as, as much as I kind of fell out of Bleach, I am not opposed to more work from Kubo. I've always thought he was, he was a competent artist, honestly. I, I just wasn't ever a fan of his storytelling, which, which is something I kind of have in common with, uh, Mashima, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but no, yeah, I, um, I'm I'm actually really looking forward to reading this one shot, and I'm I'm sure this will get picked up by Viz, uh, for that issue of their of their jump. And I honestly I think we could probably maybe even talk about it on the show or something if we uh if we find it interesting enough. Most definitely. Also, I looked it up, and it is pronounced Tight Kubo. I don't know why I second guessed myself there, <laughs> but yeah, I mean I'm extremely excited for this because it has a it looks like it'll have a very interesting premise. Uh, I'm liking that it's about female protagonists, and yeah, I think that it can it can be a lot of fun. It looks very different from Bleach, which is all about Japanese kind of mythology and concepts, and this looks like it's more about Western ideas. So it's very interesting. Yeah, um, that's that that's something I'm looking forward to as well. Is that it? You know, it 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 looks different enough from Bleach. Like you know, I'm I'm just I'm all about. I'm all about Kubo dabbling into different stuff, so... Yeah, um, he's traded out Soul Reapers and Hollows for Witches and Dragons. Which, honestly, I think I think he could he could do a pretty good job with some of that material. I, I really want to see what, what comes out of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we'll definitely be talking about this once it's out, and eventually, I'm sure, we'll get some kind of English translation from Viz, so... Yeah. Um, but I think that about does it for serialization news. Mm-hmm. And so now let's talk about some licensing news. And Kodansha has another slew of new digital first manga releases coming out this July that we're going to talk about. Starting off here with I'm Standing on a Million Lies, which will be out on July 3rd from Naoki Yamakawa and Akiran Akinari Yitnao which is a visually stunning RPG manga about a high school loner who gets transported alongside two classmates to another world where they must work together to fight for their lives. So this is another trapped in a video game survival manga, but I don't know. Uh, it's, I like the cover image where he, the protagonist, I guess, is standing on a tower of corpses. So 
in terms of like art and tone, it might be very interesting. I was going to say, like, the cover looks like a scene out of something like Kingdom, almost. Yeah, Kingdom, Vinland Saga, like something where there's a high body count and a lot of that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I would I would at least give it a chance, maybe. Yeah, you can read the first chapter for free already on Kodansha's website, so give that a check and uh, a look at uh, Next, we have Tokyo Alice from Toriko Chia, which will be out on July 10th, which is a slice-of-life romance manga about four Alices living in the big city in search of happiness and shopping. Hmm, okay. Sounds cute. Mm-hmm. Then we have Kaka Fukaka from Takumi Ishida, debuting on July 17th, which is a modern world romance about a woman who moves into a share house and re-encounters her first love, only to discover a major revelation. Then we've got, is Kiki Joji the only place to live? From Makihirochi, debuting on July 24th, which is an offbeat manga city guide courtesy of the Shigeta Twins, a couple of cool real estate agents here to show you around Tokyo's best secret neighborhoods. That's, 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 that's kind of interesting. A neat little, like, like, um, a guide there to, like, um, different, like, uh, the cities and whatnot. I, I, Actually, that, that that sounds really interesting to me. Yeah, snarky travel guide. <laughs> I think it sounds really amusing. It 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 sounds it sounds uh, educational. Yeah, funny and educational. And then we've got the Princess Romance Gambit from Miki Asada, debuting on July thirty first, which is a romance manga about a prince who has a five hundred IQ and just about everything, but gets his life thrown out out of whack by one plain girl. Problem is, she's not sure if she wants anything to do with him. Uh-oh. Hmm. So, he's super smart, but he can't take a hint. Yeah, that that, that sounds sounds wacky. Hmm. Really interesting list of debuts from Kodansha. Um, I, I, really, I really like this thing that they're doing every month where uh, you know, they uh, they they they've been introducing uh, new new series, uh, whatnot every every month or so. Um, I really hope they keep it up. Hmm. I think this batch of new series all is very promising in their own ways. They definitely have very good covers that are very appealing and striking, and the premises, while a little vague in some cases, are intriguing enough for me to want to like check them out. Um, I think the one I'm the most interested in is uh, Kichi Joji. Honestly, that just that just sounds like the kind of I I don't know that that's the one that's just so like humorously offbeat compared to like the rest of them. That like it just really stands out to me. It definitely has the most unique premise and most interesting minimalist kind of cover. So really, very intrigued by that. And like I said, even um, I'm standing on a million lives, um, I think maybe could be interesting, or at least make for a good, like, probably fun action series, at least. Mm hmm. I find myself a little more drawn to the street romances, though of those, I think that I'm most intrigued by Kakafukaka because there's a mystery element to this synopsis here. Hmm. I guess out of the romances, I'm more interested in uh, in Tokyo Alice just because I you know uh, I I kind of I kind of like the uh, slice of life aspect there um it it just it just sounds like it'd be really cute the art style of the cover is also probably the most appealing uh, out of the five to me 
in terms of comparing them all. No, I I I definitely agree. Actually, it's um, yeah, it's it's definitely the most appealing to me as well. Actually, but uh, I guess we'll just have to wait until next month to see what else Kudansha brings. Yeah, but in other licensing news, Tokyo Pop has got their hands on something again. Uh oh. Uh, they've got in their hands on the Yumi Kuma Arashi manga that they will be releasing under the title Yuri Bear Storm. Which is, yeah, a pretty, you know, accurate title. Uh, they're gonna ship out the first volume on January 22nd. This is a manga drawn by Akiko Morishima, an adaptation of the anime directed by Kunihiko Ikuhara. So there's a lot of interest in this. I liked Yuri Kumarashi when it came out. So I would be one to check out the manga. But do I trust Tokyo Pop? That's my concern here so hmm Mm, i don't know um i'm i'm kind of interested in like i mean because you know after reading through all of like the release of gto which was uh was pretty spotty at best um so some some of the work that went into that is really sloppy at some points um like I, i i vividly remember there was there was a scene where like you, like th- there are moments where like they'll they'll have somebody like edit out the Japanese text and put in English text, but you could clearly tell where there used to be Japanese text because they don't bother in like redrawing any of the blank space at all. Um, so just stuff like that that kind of like set set my OCD off. Um, but I would only consider buying it just to see like if their um, I guess if their work as far as their manga improves at all. That's the only thing I'm kind of interested in, but like, man, I don't know if I'd really want to support Tokyo Pop outside of that. Honestly, it's 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 definitely a moral quandary. Um, but anyway, uh, so s- speaking of questionable things, um, so uh, Cross Infinite World uh, licensed uh, recently a um, a new light novel series, a new four volume light novel series uh, from Roka Sayuki. Uh, entitled The Incentric Master and the Fake Lover, in which the first volume of that will be released on Kindle on August 31st. And, um, you know, I, w- I would go through the synopsis a bit, but uh, they I they kind of lost me at the first quote, uh, in which, uh, I'll just read it word for word here, you'll die if you stop ingesting body fluids from the opposite sex, and that is where you lost my interest, quite honestly. Um... Nichika's fate has been foretold by a man claiming to be a witch, and it spells doom. What a thing to be told right after tumbling into another dimension. Body fluids, in other words, tears, spit, blood, and yep, even kissing. That kissing is the exchange of spit, so, like, you have the two of the same thing here? Uh, are you, are you trying to hide, like, semen as one of them? But, I don't, I don't know. Like, like, you mean like kissing with semen in your mouth? Is that how you're gonna do it? Oh boy! Oh man! Oh, oh man! A cum swap? <laughs> this, oh, this got blue. Okay, yeah. Like, I'm usually not so quick to like judge things, but it's like, come on. <laughs> I don't have anything necessarily against the premise in the sense that it seems like the female protagonist is making. The choice. I mean, like, I guess she's forced to be in this situation, but then she like 
is taking the initiative in her own survival, I guess. It's like, I don't know if it's like going to be exploitative just based on the premise. So that's fine. You know, it could be like smutty things. There's a there's a market for that. There's a place for that. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I don't want to like shame anybody, but it's like, it's just, just not the kind of thing I'm into at all. Yeah, it's just the rest of the fantasy. It's just the rest of the fantasy premise is just not that intriguing to me. Like, she's going to be in a relationship with some asshole guy and they're going to have probably some kind of tsundere kind of relationship and then uh, they'll fight evil magical guys i guess i, I, don't, I guess no i don't know i'm i'm not i'm not interested at all see if the second part of the premise of the fantasy part of the premise was more interesting i wouldn't i would be more intrigued by this but that's like what what on what kills me there is when i read this final paragraph it was like uh yeah, I guess this is sure like a, a fantasy premise. So, hey, that's coming out on August 31st. <laughs> Cross Infinite World licensed another light novel series recently that I did not put on our news list because I'm like, I, I don't even want to promote this one. Uh, speaking of problematic premises, it's like, uh, no. Uh, the title of that one is How to Love Your Demon. I know how to love your elf slave bride and like no we're not gonna even bother talking about that one i've been seeing that one around yeah um yeah that just that that didn't really sound like it had anything good going for it at all Mm-mm. Mm. so i mean i mean if you're into that like you know i don't i don't judge anybody but like i said yeah these like this 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 just kind of like I don't want, I'm trying not to like go on a whole rant, but like, th- this is the, cause like, I really, I actually really want to get into light novels at some point, but it's like, it's just, it's stuff like this that I'm, that I am most likely to kind of stay away from. Yeah. I mean, it's, sm- this is like the smuttier end, I guess, which there's, again, there's also a place for that. And that's, I don't think that's a bad thing. It's just that it doesn't intrigue me as much. Yeah, uh, th- there are certain things that I just, I don't know, I I just think are a little, a little much, but you know, yeah, let, let's let's not talk about this anymore. Uh, so uh, we're gonna move on to a, a new Seven Seas license. Which before I even get into this, um, so apparently they're gonna be uh, announcing ten new licenses at Anime Expo. So. I'm sure that'll cover at least 40 minutes of the of 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 our next podcast. Yeah, see this is this is why I didn't want to delay our next recording like cuz we could have delayed our next recording to after Anime Expo. But I was like, no. I I know from experience that a shit ton of news happens out of Anime Expo and this could end up ballooning to another three hour recording session just on news if we wait that long. So I'm like, no, we got to do this now and then we'll wait another two weeks, the the normal time, and then we'll cover all the Anime Expo news. Like even then, just in the past two years, I remember... The episodes after Anime Expo have incredibly long news sections, so I'm still expecting that to be two hours worth of coverage. Oh yeah, I'm I'm yeah. If you um if you listen to the next episode of Manga Mavericks and there is at least an hour and a half worth of Anime Expo news, yeah, don't be surprised. Maybe two. Yeah. 
man, I'm 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 both looking forward to and dreading that. So yeah, uh, Seven Seas earlier this week that they were kind of hinting at a very big like license as far as uh, as far as an LGBT title goes, which um, I thought was really interesting. And uh, they just recently announced that, and uh, so they are going to be bringing over Shimanami Tasogare uh, from Yuki Kamatani, uh, who apparently had also worked on um, on Nabari no O. And uh, so the first volume of this is going to be coming out uh, May 7th of next year, 2019. And uh, from the premise, it seems like it's just kind of a sort of a coming of age story about a high schooler who moves to a new town. And he's basically afraid of everybody finding out that he's homosexual. And, uh, you know, just as he's basically thinking about suicide, he meets this girl who... Uh, who leads him to a group of people who are dealing with the same kind of problem. Um, now, I mean, whether it's like a, I mean, I doubt it's like a school club kind of thing, more so like a, probably like a clique, you know, of people who are basically going through the same problems of acceptance and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so this is looking to be a very, like, powerful coming-of-age kind of story about learning to come to terms with yourself and your sexuality and whatnot and... uh I don't know. I, I see a lot of people who are very excited about the series. Apparently, uh, according to Seven Seas, this was like, as far as like their license requests goes, this was like one of their number one license requests. Yeah, I saw that too. It's interesting. I hadn't heard about the series until Seven Seas announced the license for it. But then I saw like the reaction to it on Twitter. And I was like, oh, I guess this was like a really big deal. I don't know how I missed it before, but I'm very excited for it because I've heard the raw emotions in the series be described as being as powerful as those in a silent voice. So, like, I think this is going to be an incredibly compelling read. Oh, man, that makes me want to read it more because, like, a a silent voice was already, like, really emotionally raw and powerful enough. But, like, I I don't know if I can go through that again. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... Yeah, I mean, I I agree. Like, I hadn't heard about the series until it was licensed by Seven Seas. Though a, a part of me thinks I might have heard the title somewhere before, but like, uh, but yeah, I didn't really like know anything about it until Seven Seas picked it up. Um, so yeah, just a, along with stuff like this and like Go for It Nakamura, um, the second volume of like My Brother's Husband and the sequel to My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness. I I have a lot of like LGBTQ manga that like I really I'm actually really looking forward to digging into and maybe maybe talking about them on the show. And it's no surprise Seven Seas holds the license to steer those books. Like they're doing an gr- incredible job bringing over uh, titles that have LGBTQ representation and talk about those stories. So I'm very, very uh, happy that they've been, they've been doing that because it's so important. And that just about does it for licensing news. So let's get into a little bit of industry news here. We just have one news piece to talk about, but it's a pretty big deal in that Udon Entertainment's manga classics line is becoming a separate company. They recently announced at the American Library Association annual conference in New Orleans that it is founding a new subsidiary company to oversee the manga classics line 
and Udon Entertainment CEO Eric Ko and Morpheus Studios owner Andy Hung will be co-partners in this new company. This is the line of comics that uh, is mainly features like adaptations of famous uh, literary works of fiction, including Macbeth and uh, Dracula, which are upcoming books that will ship off for the line on September 1st. The Macbeth book will be written and drawn by Crystal S. Chan and Julian Choi, while the Dracula book will be done by Stacey King and Virginia Nyote. And yeah, this line has been going on since 2014, and uh, other books that have been published online include Pride and Prejudice, uh, and that's the one that comes to mind right now. But yeah, so it's kind of interesting to see this shakeup, I'm assuming this company has been doing well if it's you know being ready to branch out as its own entity and it'll be interesting to see where it goes in the future and our final piece of news here is just like a fun little bit of news that i just wanted to mention because i'm a big fan of the series and it's that konosuba is getting a film next year we've been wondering if konosuba will be getting a third season sometime since they haven't announced it but Recently, we got the confirmation that JC Saf will be making a Konosuma theatrical film that is going to come out next year. So I'm very much looking forward to that. I like Konosuba a lot, and I hope that this new film gets a theatrical screening in the U.S. Oh, man. I really need to get back on Konosuba at some point, because I, I really did like the little bit I saw of it. Um, yeah, uh, I guess it's also worth noting that I guess the... Well, was a... I forget. So, was the anime already animated by JC Staff, or is that, or is that something new for the movie? I don't think. No, Konosuba. The previous scenes were done by Studio Dean. Okay, that's right. That's right. And yeah, I, I guess apparently the movie is going to be produced and animated by JC Staff. So, change in animation studio, but. I wonder if the, if there will be like a difference in quality. I mean, obviously, like I'm sure the movie will probably look a, a little better than the show just because it's a movie. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see if there's any like real noticeable difference in in the animation besides that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how much of the same staff carries over because that's really the bigger question. So hopefully, most of the staff does come over for this new project. But no, yeah. Um, for all you Konosuba fans out there, it's not a season three, but, you know, it's still something. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that about does it for news. Yeah. Very awkward transition here into Eden Zero, I guess. There's no good transition <laughs> other than, I guess they're both fantasy series. Well, you know, sometimes transitions don't always work. Um, but so, yeah, I guess we could just move on to talking about Eden Zero from Hiro Mashima, which, uh... Just debuted uh, over this past week, um, and uh, at least at the time of this recording. Um, so, yeah, um, Sid, do you want to talk a little bit about what Eden Zero is actually about? Eden Zero is about this kid named Shiki, who I don't know how he was abandoned on this like island of robots, but essentially he was taken in by the Demon Lord, or at least the robot who plays the Demon Lord. Ro- lord on this amusement park island full of robots and so he's just raised by the robots in this kingdom called the grand bell kingdom and then one day another human traveler comes to the 
island named Rebecca with her cat in tow, Happy, from Fairy Tale, who I guess is here now in this series too. <laughs> it's not enough to have Pluby in every series. Now Happy must be too. But anyway, Rebecca comes here because she wants to find like a cool place to like film basically YouTube videos so that her YouTube channel can have a million subscribers and she'll be super popular and stuff. So that's her goal. And then eventually there's like uh, this, uh, she encounters like this giant robot cat thing that I guess is breaking down or something. And then that's how she meets Shiki. And then Shiki has not seen another human before. So there's hijinks. It's very much like Goku meeting Bulma-esque. Oh, you're a woman? I don't know what a woman is. I've never seen another human being before. And then, basically, you know, she's a little creeped out by him at first, understandably. But then she kind of, very suddenly, it kind of warms up to him when he tells her that he's friends with all the robots. It's like a very awkward transition because there's this panel of her looking very, like, creeped out and like, uh, oh, you know all each other? And then he just says, oh, they're my friends. And then she has a smile on her face on the next page. It's like, okay, that was quick. <laughs> you, you sure you sure got over that quickly. Anyway, basically what happens later is that uh, the king, the, ro- the robot that plays the king is informed that Rebecca's here. And so the king leads the robots and to kidnap Rebecca and tie her and happy up on like a pole so they can burn them at the stake because their plan is we are waited for human travelers to come here so we can steal their ship and go off for the outside world because we are tired of being slaves to humans and tools just for their amusement. And they, and they claim like a virus has made them change their attitude on that and stuff. Then basically Shiki is like, but why, why are you doing that? We're friends. And, but they're like, no, we can't be friends with humans. Humans are our enemy. Humans bad. Yeah. So then Shiki has to, you know, fight to save Rebecca. And then basically he awakens like his special power that, you know, gives him the strength to fight back against the robots and, you know, take Rebecca and just get away. The power is called Ether Gear which is uh, referred to as gear that works on his body's ether flow, reconfiguring it to give him new power, a power from the Dark Ages. So there's a lot of mystery behind this power. We don't really know, like, all the specific details of how it works yet, but it, like, gives him, like, these patterns on his arms and stuff. Like, he has circle kind of things over his knuckles, and that there's, like, these weird lines going up his arms. Anyway, he can, like, really jump around. He gets more acrobatic and stuff, and he, like, beats down the robot king. And then they all, like, get on Rebecca's ship, and they leave to space. Because it turns out the kingdom is not just an island on earth or anything this is like an entire planet that is just this kingdom that is just this island and that is kind of basically how planets are in this universe it's like they're these little floating islands and so they're traveling around in the sakura cosmos where there's like floating sakura petal shaped stars swirling around everywhere and it's a very beautiful kind of like looking image of space and so now they're traveling to different planets, Shiki and Rebecca and Happy. And uh, Shiki's goal is to make 100 friends. 
because he's lost all his friends on the island. So now he, he's going to go and meet new people and make a hundred friends. Uh, and then the, the very sad dramatic twist that, that was very good is that it turns out this was the plan of the robots all along. They were waiting for another human to come so that they could make Shiki go with her out into the stars because the robots are basically dying out because, you know, they're rusting, they're losing their, you know, energy supply. So before they, you know, shut down for good, they wanted to make sure Shiki left the planet so he could go off on his own and, like, find new friends and stuff. And so it's very sad. They basically all shut down and power down and kind of I guess they die and yeah it's very sad they help they they put on this act because they're all performer robots that's their like job so this was like their big performance to like play the part of, of evil human hating robots in order to make Shiki leave the planet but like even though Shiki doesn't know all this like he's still reflecting on and all his t- good times he had with the robots. And he's like, you know, they were my friends. Thank you so much for being there for me. I was never alone. And so that's how the chapter ends, basically. And uh, yeah, the journey just has begun for the, for the man whose name will be remembered throughout the universe. While we're on that part of the uh, chapter, I, I really I really like that gag where like he yells out to his robot friends and like, and then he quickly realized, oh, wait, they can't hear me. Can I break the window? <laughs> and Rebecca's like, no. <laughs> I actually thought that was kind of funny. Um, so I, I guess um, I, I kind of want to go first as far as like first impressions go, because like, you know, I, I've talked about on the show before, you know, about because I, I think it's safe to assume that we both either just kind of grew tired of or got kind of burnt out on fairy tale at some point. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like just the long and short of it, like I really liked fairy tale at first. But then, like, at some point, I just kind of, like, started getting tired of it, and I just thought it got kind of, like, predictable and repetitive a little bit, and basically the time skip just kind of killed whatever, like, interest I had in reading the rest of it. So, I haven't really, like, been keeping up with Mashima's works since then, uh, which is a shame because, like, you know, I really loved Rave Master, or uh, Groove Adventure Rave, whatever you want to call it, um... Which, at some point, that's something I do want to reread and, like, talk about on the show. Because I remember reading Rave Master when I was still in high school. My high school library had all of it. And I really loved that series and thought it was a really great adventure series. So, you know, I, I kind of go back and forth on Mashima's works. You know, most of the time, I think he's really capable of a lot of uh, different things. And I think he has a lot of talent. But... uh you know, I, I was actually talking with Maxi about this on Twitter the other day in that I have this fear of Mashima where he's going to become one of those people in my mind that like, yeah, they have a lot of talent, but they just kind of stick with what they know, like their fans want and basically like what will make him the most money. Basically, like the kind of person I put people like Seth MacFarlane in the category of, except I except the difference is I think Mashima has more talent than Seth MacFarlane in particular. But I mean, they both work in different mediums, so I guess that doesn't really uh, correlate. But my point Mm -hmm. still stands. Um, That's just kind of how I see it. So, you know, um, I was excited about Eden Zero because it's something that isn't fairy tale like. I just got so tired of fairy tale at some point that like, you know, anything different from Mashima just looks so much more interesting in comparison to me. And, you know, like before I read the first chapter, like the 
what was it like like the cover of that issue of shonen magazine got leaked online and you know you have you know the main characters on the front cover and it basically just to me it just looked like a cover image of like fairy tale again like i was i i fell into this trap of like being kind of disappointed in, in how like similar all the main characters looked uh especially with like having happy there and how much like uh rebecca looks like lucy and you know i was i was a bit disappointed at first because it's like oh man i hope this doesn't just turn into a like a like a fairy tale knockoff thing where it's like, oh, let's just reuse all the same character designs. And, you know, I know Mashima has done that same thing before, but like, he's never really like, you know, just reused or done like similar main character designs, which is why I've always been just kind of okay with it. But I don't know. So but basically my, my point is that like, you know, I was kind of disappointed in that at first, but actually reading the first chapter of Eden Zero, I'm mi- I'm mixed about it because I feel like as far as it's like as far as like the the relationships between the characters are concerned like especially you know Sid you brought it up with uh how Rebecca kind of like quickly warms up to Shiki like I felt like that was a little you know I felt like that was a bit quick and the themes of friendship are a little derivative in my opinion but you know there there's still so much about uh this first chapter that like actually has me excited to read more like I really think the last couple of pages really kind of sold me on maybe at least at least like checking this out every once in a while to just to kind of like check up with it. Like, I did not expect the series to take place in space at all. Um, I th- I thought that was a very neat surprise, and I actually really do like that twist in the end where it's like, oh well, the robots weren't actually evil; they were actually just trying to help Shiki basically get out into the world and to make friends and explore other places because that was something that you know, the demon lord kind of wanted for Shiki in the beginning was, you know, he encouraged Shiki as a child to basically go out and make friends. And so, you know, I thought that, like, those elements I thought were really strong. So, And I think those elements really keep this from being just a complete, like, oh, it's just Mashima doing what he does, you know? Like, it, it, it keeps it interesting for me, personally. Yeah. I guess my expectation for the series, if I want to start there, was that I just didn't know what to think of it. I mean, like what others had kind of pointed out from the preview image, like there were a lot of character designs that seemed just so similar to fairy tale character designs that it was like, hmm, like, is he just going to reuse a bunch of the characters again for this series? So I didn't really know what to think about it. Like, we didn't really have much of a synopsis to go off of. So reading the first chapter, I was trying to figure out what direction it was going. And I think that while reading the chapter, my opinion of it definitely shifted. Because it started out being, well, I'm not really sold on this idea. This seems like, oh, this is kind of like your gender flipping kind of fairy. No, you're not really doing that. It's just that now the female protagonist is the one with happy at the beginning. Essentially. But like the meeting between her and, and Shiki is like pretty similar to Lucy and Atsu. And in some respects, it seemed the dynamic was a little too similar. So I was kind of like thinking about all the similarities. But then by the time we got into the second half of the chapter, and especially the ending, and like the message of the chapter was ringing forward, then I was like, okay, now I'm really into this. I really like 
what he set up here because there's a really not good heart to this first chapter in Shiki understanding like what true friendship is and, and like also kind of like you know standing up to protect us you know he has to fight against basically his family to protect his new friend and then have to make the decision to leave them behind in order to explore the world and you know make new friends so that was a really good idea and you know what i was like worried about like reading the first chapter was oh, okay so these these robots are just like be suddenly evil now because of a virus but i really thought it was clever that okay these are performing robots they've known for a long time that cheeky as a human will outlive them because they are going to break down at some point and so they are desperate to like help him go off into the world so he can thrive without them and have a make new friends to be his support network when you no know, they're gone you know t- to carry on the wishes of like shiki circuit fodder the gaming king especially you know and it's kind of set up like in the opening color pages, you know, where there's this conversation between Cheeky, the Demon King, and Michael, like kind of the the main robot friend Cheeky has, or at least is presented as his main friend during the chapter, who is like, you know, kind of listening to what the Demon Lord is saying to Cheeky, and is like, hmm. So like they're thinking about what he's saying, like how to best help Shiki, like, in the future. So that's kind of hinted at before the big twist in the middle of the chapter and then at the end of the chapter. And so it's, like, a very well-executed story in terms of that. It's like, oh, there's nothing that seems like it comes out of nowhere in terms of, like, how the story of this first chapter develops. And I think that it leaves off on this really, like, meaningful note because they do all shut down. And, like, presumably, like, the robots, they could, like, reboot them at some point if they ever return to the Grand Belt Kingdom. Maybe. But, like, essentially, like, they did all, like, use their last, you know, time on Earth to help Shiki, like, go off into the world so we wouldn't be alone anymore. And that, like, was, you know, really... Uh, touching, it, it pulled at the heartstrings, and yeah, I, I really fell for it. And I think that, you know, the fact that even Shiki does not even know all this, that he doesn't know that, you know, they were pretending to hate him. He, he doesn't even guess that, but he's just thinking about, you know, his, the times he spent with them and how he treasures that, how he treasures them as a family, and so he still thanks them, even though at the end, you know, they they said that he is their enemy, and so it's like, oh, it's like that strong familial bond, like, carries through, like, I really enjoy that, and now I kind of am interested in seeing, like, him make those 100 friends, like, friendship as a concept was overplayed in Fairy Tale, but I don't dislike friendship as an idea, because I do think it's like a very, you know, powerful and moving concept. I do appreciate it as a concept and as a, you know, just fact of life in general. As a motivator, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, the thing with how it was used in fairy tale as a motivator is that it was the solution for most of the conflicts. Or it, not just that it was a solution for many conflicts, but that it would seem like an out-of-nowhere easy solution for many conflicts. Like, there's this moment, like, at the end of the tournament arc, like, the Grand Magic Games or whatever, 
where it's like fairy tale solidarity like convinces a rogue i think is the, is the person they're fighting to like just stand down to just give up on fighting because it's like oh no their friendship and their their strength even though that I, they have worn themselves out fighting other guys and i'm at full power i cannot beat them oh it's like okay come on it's just that's easy and convenient but like you know the having friendship as a motivator for shiki you know just as a conceptual thematic idea being presented like straight like straight on right in this first chapter is something that is going to be like the core of the series that works for me and that is like compelling to me so like if friendship comes here as a motivator for to give shiki the strength you know to win battles to me that seems like okay that's the ethos of his character that will work provided it isn't like an easy last hour solution that like diffuses the tension in a, in a in what should be a really dramatic moment i'll give i'll give you this like i i said earlier that i thought um that i thought that the like the themes of friendship i thought were a bit derivative in in parts in the first chapter but honestly like thinking back like uh, i think you make a very good case for like how well it's used in like the first chapter of this series compared to like like you said how it's used in fairy tale to basically just like you know force like some kind of resolution and like how cheesy it kind of comes off like i think one of the things that like really set me off near the end of like uh what is it the s rank war arc i don't even remember what it's called when they're on the island and they're like fighting each other yeah, the Tenro Island arc. Yeah, and it there's a moment in particular where like um some whatever the dragon's name is uh comes out of nowhere and they're Technologia? Yeah. Oh and, yeah, and they get in the circle and they're all yeah, holding hands like that... and then somehow that protect well, it wasn't like that alone, I guess, that protected them because Mavis is on the island, she's like Well, well yeah, but my my po- my my point being that like stuff like that just like that is just i don't know like i'm fine with cheesy stuff but like that was just kind of a level of cheese that like i just i just couldn't really get behind i just couldn't take seriously at all just thought was like really like silly in like the worst way and just like really took me out of it like oh yeah let's just it it just doesn't really feel genuine to me like oh yeah let's let's all let's all hold hands in a circle before we're all blasted off and it'll protect us oh whatever like so yeah, yeah. <laughs> I guess the problem to me is just it didn't feel meaningful in, not at all enough no. because there are no consequences to that. Like nothing really comes out of that. Like it's a it's a moment, it's an image, but it doesn't really say anything about the relationship between the characters in a profound way, and it doesn't like affect things that happen later because it's not like they did anything necessarily. It's not like them getting that circle protected them. From what I remember, I'm pretty sure it was just the fact that Mavis was there and she, you know, strong, so she protected them basically with her whatever force field thing and then she kept them safe for like seven years for no reason for a time skip that did not amount to anything. Yeah, I so it's God, like, yeah. Yeah, it was just like the the context of everything that happened involving that scene was just not well done at all. For in this case the context for like all the f- moments inspired by friendship uh works because it's set up well and it follows through well and it like speaks well of the characters and their relationships with each other like the moment where rebecca is like you know very upset 
that all Shiki's friends are turning on him and she's like yelling and is like, how could you do this? Like just yesterday you were all happy together. He, Shiki said everyone here was his friend. How can you be so cruel? You can be a friend with anyone. It doesn't matter. You're human machine. It's like, and she's shedding tears for Shiki, this guy that she met yesterday. And like Shiki is reflecting on, oh, what, you know, the Demon King tells him, it's like, if you have a friend who shed tears for you, you better treasure that friend for your whole life. So it, like, speaks to both, you know, Rebecca here is, like, being a very selfless and empathetic character because she, like, cares about Shiki, you know, who she only just met, but she, you know, ha understands and respects, like, his relationship with all the people here on the Granville Kingdom, and she, you know, feels his pain at the fact that they are turning on him. And so the fact that she and then Shiki recognizes that, you know, Rebecca is someone who cares about him, even though, you know, they bear, have just met and barely know each other. But that's like a good foundation for a friendship. If like you are you have someone who is like willing to, you know, f fight on your behalf or willing to speak, you know, defend someone else just because they are, you know, that good a person and that caring a person. And then, like, the fact that Rebecca is, you know, stands up for him and, like, you know, is uh, crying on his behalf and is, like, being so defensive of him and stuff. It's, like, supportive of him. Like, that's what gives him the strength, you know, just fight back and, you know, gives him something, you know, to protect because now he has, like, a new friend. You know, he might have lost, like, all his friends here uh, but now he has someone to protect. He has another friend, another relationship to fight for. And so that's like what awakens his power. And so it all works for me in terms of like how everything goes down and why everything goes down. Cause like it makes sense for the characters to be like this. Like I, I can buy it. Yeah. It wasn't just used as like a deus ex machina. Like it yeah. wasn't fairy tale. Like th this actually felt, this felt like it made sense and it actually sort of felt genuine. Like, I thought it was weird that, again, I still think it's weird that Rebecca, like, changes her opinion of Shiki so fast. Yeah. But because of the kind of person she is and the fact that she is very empathetic and she is generally pretty friendly, it still works to me. Like, she's not, she, it wasn't like she spent the first half of the chapter, like, hating Shiki. She just thought he was like weird. And then he she realized, oh, I guess, you know, he's she's just a guy here. Uh, he's he's pretty cool. He's pretty sweet. He's just a good kid. So it's like, yeah, it works. Like I get why she would feel so bad for him after understanding and knowing his situation. Yeah, like I said, I I I wasn't really feeling it up until like you know, basically the main conflict kind of resolved itself and they actually left the island and then that's when everything kind of started to make sense. Yeah, like it was, it really was like the revelation that the, that the, the you know, the robots were all pretending and they were doing this to help Shiki go off into the world. And so he wouldn't be lonely when they're all gone. Like it was really that revelation that like put everything in the chapter into context and like, you know, sold it like completely because like up until that point, you know, it was, it was fine, but like it was just that act of selflessness on the part of those robot characters and their sacrifice that really just sold it home. Yeah. I think that's what kind of sold it for me too, especially when like, 
you know, you have Michael's final words where he's like, you know, if I knew this was going to hurt and if I knew this was going to be lonely, like, I wish I never had a heart. Like, that final panel where, like, you know, just a smiling robot just trembling, like, there's just something about that that actually, like, you know, I didn't, like, you know, start sobbing for 10 minutes or anything, but, like, you know, that still kind of, like, broke my heart a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, great follows through on a idea that was well developed like at the beginning of the chapter michael's saying oh we're robots we don't have hearts but we see throughout the chapter that they are very observant of shiki they like how they talk about him that they really love him and then so now that he's left them and like they will never see him again you know they do feel incredibly sad and so and michael especially because he was probably the closest to shiki as we had seen through the chapter so yeah, it's really powerful emotional moment that felt earned. And the problem with fairy tale is that there were a lot of emotional moments that did not feel earned. But in this first chapter, like I think everything was executed incredibly well. Mhm. No, yeah. I I thought I thought it was executed well at least compared to fairy tale. Um Yeah. I mean, especially comparing this to fairy tale's first chapter, I think this is actually much stronger because I reread Fairy Tales first chapter and there's not a really good strong thematic idea. There's not a good strong foundation for the story in the first chapter of Fairy Tale. Like it's basically, oh, Natsu is strong and this other guy is an imposter, so he is bad. And Fairy Tale is a place where you can have a lot of fun, I guess. Yeah, that was that's my problem with Fairy Tale looking back on it, is that like Especially, like, comparing it to, like, this and Rave Master, of all things, that, like, Eden Zero and Rave Master felt like they had a focus. Fairy Tale does not feel like it has a focus. I mean, you know, there there is there is that stuff in Fairy Tale where, like, you know, Natsu wants to find his dragon dad or whatever, and that's, and that could have made for a compelling story. I mean, I don't, I don't know how that turned out in Fairy Tale, and honestly, I don't really care at the moment. <laughs> but well, um, he did he did find him, although like how everything worked out, it uh, it turns out he was not very far to begin with. I won't spoil it since I'm sure we'll read Fairy Tale on for the show at some point. So I want you to keep some uh, some spoilers out of your head. But yeah, um, like I and I think like again in comparing the first chapters, like what. This series does so well is that it has a clear idea and it really develops that idea for its protagonist in terms of what his goal is and what he cares about. And this chapter is all about what this character cares about and how that inspires him to go off on his journey. In the first chapter of Fairy Tale, we get to hear about Natsu's goal, we don't get to see why that is his goal. Like, what is inspiring him to go off on his journey? And really, what is he all about? Like, he just shows up to fight this imposter. Like, he's looking for Igneo. And so then he runs across this guy who's impersonating him. It's like, it, it doesn't have anything to do with that. To do with his goal... It just ends up being, oh, you're impersonating me. You're not a real fairy tale member because you're a bad guy. Again, there's just not a clear, like, thematic idea how it relates to the protagonist's goal and what he cares about at all in the in the first chapter of fairy tale. But Eden Zero succeeds at that, so it's like a much better told story 
when comparing the first chapters of those two series. No, yeah, th- this was this was a good like like th- this was like if this were a one shot, it it would be a very very well executed one shot as far as like like because this feels like a very like this feels like it could be its own self contained story, and I would honestly be fine with it. Yeah. I think that's what you want out of a good first chapter is that you want a story that feels self-contained and emotionally satisfying, but also has the potential to go on longer and continue to expand upon the ideas it presents. And I think that this first chapter did that extremely well. Yeah, so I thought the first chapter was fun, and I agree with Sid, It it was executed well. Um, now we'll just have to see how the rest of it pans out. And honestly, I think I would consider like trying to keep up with this. I think I'm, I'm going to, this, this is going to sound a lot harsher than I want it to. So forgive me, but I think I'm ready to give Mashima another chance. I, I I think I'm ready to accept him back in my life again. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I will keep up with this for sure. Like I try to keep up with as many series as possible. I mean, the fact that this isn't in Jump just <laughs> hurts it a little bit, because I usually, sometimes I forget to read the Crunchyroll manga, so no, yeah, I, I fall I behind that. on it. Yeah, But I do want to keep up with this, because I thought this first chapter was extremely well done, and I think it has a lot of potential. And I, yeah, I'm behind his goal of making 100 friends, so I want to see how that develops. See, I care about the goal. I don't, see, with the first chapter of Fairy Tale, I reread it, and I'm like, Wait a minute, why do I care why Natsu finds Igneal? Like, I don't know his relationship with Igneal. Like, the chapter doesn't start up with a flashback of Natsu and Igneal. No, it start the chapter starts with some, with like just Siegfried Jalal talking about fairy tale for some reason. Because I guess, like, he's gonna be an antagonist at some point and keep showing up. But like, it, it doesn't have anything to do with anything that happens in the rest of the chapter, in the main focus of the chapter, where, where, to help develop the characters at all. Like, it's... so Again, I just didn't think the idea... Like, the first chapter of Heritoral set up and developed its ideas very well at all. No, yeah, that that's, that's something I really missed from Mashima, is just... Like I said, the, the key word here is focus. That was something yes. he ha- that was something he ha- I th- I thought he had in rave something that I really only just recently within like the past year or two realized that he doesn't really have in fairy tale and that's part of the reason why I fell out of it eventually but it seems like there's a focus here in Eden Zero so I'm more compelled to follow through with the rest of the story at least for now yeah, and it seems like he has a lot of ideas for the series if the color page is anything to go by because there's a lot of characters on there, so it seems he probably has a lot of directions or a lot of ideas for this story already. Like just just a just a shonen manga that takes place in space already like already has my attention because there's so there I've I've read certain series where like things just escalate so far that like my my go-to like joke is like oh this series is totally going to go into space at some point like I feel I felt the same way with uh I feel the same way with One Piece I felt the same way about Toriko so it's like so I guess just as far as me personally goes like I just find it funny that I that I'm finally getting to read a shonen manga that actually just that just kind of like hits the ground running as far as that goes. Yeah, I, I'm thinking aesthetically, it's like a really cool choice, like these floating islands in space and stuff. 
I think that is really cool. And also, can we, I just, I was going to make the joke earlier, but um, I just love how, like, you could tell, like, uh, how how far Shonen Manga has come, where it's like, you know, like, for forget wanting to be the Hokage, forget wanting to be the Pirate King, I just want a million subscribers on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty great. Like, I, I hope she... I, yeah, Mikosa got her goal. She wants to have a million subscribers on YouTube. Uh, it's it's very really fun, small goal, but it's it's pretty fun. Like it's it's very it's very like modern, but like it's just it's it's kind of cute. Like I I kind of like that. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, we'll see her journey to become one of the best uh, YouTubers in this world. I guess. <laughs> Forget a million subscribers. She'll get ten million. She'll be the number one. That's gonna be her goal ultimately she'll be she'll she'll beat up pewdiepie <laughs> yeah whoever the equivalent of pewdiepie is in this series i wonder if she's gonna get to meet like other like famous youtubers or something not not <laughs> not, not necessarily like representative of, like actual famous youtubers just like famous youtubers within like i guess outer space like this is such a the more i say this out loud the more <laughs> the more ridiculous i kind of <laughs> find it but like i'm kind of all for it yeah um but no yeah i i think i i think i'm i feel comfortable recommending this oh yeah i think that this is a very solid beginning for a new series as to have a sort of very solid foundation as someone who was very frustrated towards fairy tale and found a lot of Mashima's writing choices in that series to be very poorly executed and follows through upon uh, I think that this first chapter already has a much better foundation than Fairy Tale had in terms of a premise. So, you know, hopefully that well is a good sign of how the story will develop going forward and it possibly continuing to maintain like this level of quality. Yeah, I'm holding out hope that Mashima can follow through with with at least a better executed series. Um, but yeah, you know, if you want to read Eden Zero, uh, the first chapter is available on Crunchyroll. I, I think you have to have a subscription to read it. Um, but honestly, if you're not subscribed to Crunchyroll already, I mean, you should be because I think they've been doing good things to kind of revamp their manga section. Um, you know, unfortunately, they did have to kind of uh, clean up a few series and there are certain series that... You used to be able to read, like, Princess Jellyfish and The Silent Voice that you can't really read all of on there anymore, unfortunately, but, you know, they have you a... You can't read them at all on there anymore. They just oh, took oh them really? Entirely. Oh, yeah. wow, okay. But, you know, they do have a lot of really neat stuff from Kodansha on there that, like, I would like to get to at some point, it's especially, like, To Your Eternity. I really need to catch up on that at some point. But, uh, yeah, so, I mean, if you have a subscription to Crunchyroll, definitely... Uh, definitely read it on there, or you can buy uh, you can buy chapters of Eden Zero on uh, both Comixology and Kindle. So it is very readily available if you want to read it. Um, and I'm sure Kadansha will come out with volume releases of this at some point. And uh, yeah, so if you want to support Hiromashima and you want to support Eden Zero, there are ways to do it. And uh, we'll leave links in the show notes as to like where you can read it and whatnot. So yeah, I, I would I would definitely say this is worth checking out. Um, but I think that about does it for the show. Yeah, I think it does. It was a short show this week. Uh, if when it's finally edited, it'll be like an hour and a half under that, maybe. Yeah, about oh, that. Nice, yeah. nice to have shorter episodes. 
you know, it, it rarely happens these days, but uh, we've we kind of gotten to gotten like two in a row now. So hey, yeah. So there you go. Um, I'm all for shorter episodes personally. Less work on me. <laughs> um, yeah. But no, yeah, I I think this was this was a this was a good episode. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, hopefully, uh, you know, Sid, you mentioned you're gonna be at Anime Expo along with V Lord. Um, so. You know, if you guys are listening to this saying you want to say hi or something, I'm sure you can, uh, you know, follow Sid. I'm sure he'll probably uh, tweet every once in a while about what he's doing at Anime Expo if you want to say hi. And uh, speaking of Sid, uh, where can the good people follow you? You can follow me at Lone Ramayasha on Twitter and as Lone Ramayasha on any other social network that I'm on or platform that I'm on, like Animation Revelation or AnyList and the like. You can also read my manga reviews on all-comic.com as I do very infrequently, but uh, try to do a little more so, get back in the swing of doing doing them more regularly. But no, yeah, so go ahead and follow Sid. Um, and if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at SniperKing323. I, I, if, if I'm reading something, I'm usually talking about it. And that that's pretty much it. I actually have a list of my ongoing manga threads that I have way too many of that I didn't realize I had so many of. Um, and you can I have a pin tweet there. You can find it from there. And uh, you can also listen to my other podcasts, such as Life Lessons, the Intama Manga Cast, over at gintalifelessons.wordpress.com, as well as One Podcast Prevails at onepodcastprevails.com, where I talk about Detective Conan slash Case Closed uh, with my good friend Doctor from the Ass Backwards Anime Podcast. Uh, but as for all comic and the podcast, uh, you can find more of our podcast. That's the Manga Mavericks podcast and whatever side podcast we put up over at all-comic.com. That's where we put every episode first. You can also follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. Uh, but if you just want to follow Manga Mavericks specifically and get all the latest updates on new episodes and whatnot, uh, you want to follow us at manga underscore Mavericks as well as mangamavericks.tumblr.com and subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash mangamavericks um, where I'm sure uh, our review of uh, Eden Zero will probably be up at some point. You can also email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. What did you think of Eden Zero? Uh, what do you think of Hiromashima's works in general? Um, what are you reading in general? Just send us anything about what you're reading, what you think of the podcast, in an email. Again, over at mangamavericks at gmail.com, and we will read it on the show. Um, but the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, the artist formerly known as iTunes. Um, and uh, yeah, that really helps the visibility of our podcast and just helps helps us get out there in general. Um, and so I think that's going to be about it. Um, this has been episode 52 of the Manga Mavericks podcast on allcomic.com. And we will see you guys next time for episode 53. Bye, guys. Sayonara.